This is Control Structure, episode 82 for March 17th, 2015. Hello to everyone listening. Uh, before you get started, this show does have show notes. Visit thenexus.tv slash cs82 to see them. I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and this is the other host, Stephen Orvis. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Steve. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, finally been turning around here. Oh, and happy St. Paddy's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. So, uh, see, I think I me- I messaged you along with about ten other people this morning, uh, saying top of the morning to you. Did something. you do that on my cell phone that I never check? It might be because uh, <laughs> I I really need to get that number at some point. The the one I check. Yeah, I'll just send it to you again sometime. So, uh, anyways, uh, yeah, it's suddenly not cold anymore. I wouldn't say not cold. It's still kind of chilly. I was out there in a green, in in a wool coat out there today. I don't know if you've seen the, the arm co- coats or not. That's more of a butler area thing. Anyways, I had that and a wool wool hat on, and it was still pretty chilly out there in the evening. Well, I guess right now it is currently 31 degrees, but uh, yesterday it was kind of toasty, or even today it was a little. Earlier in the day, it wasn't quite as bad. So, but uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, on Saturday, I pretty much stayed inside and hated everything, uh, which was a nice reprieve for me, at least. Uh, then on Sunday, I was on the 8-Bit show. Uh, so, yeah, we talked about Star Citizen and reviewed a few games and, uh, you know, had plenty of fun with that. Um, and then yesterday, uh, my new DSLR camera came uh, came along with uh, a fast memory card to go with it. Uh, unfortunately, I only had about 30 minutes to play around with it before Chris came, and uh, then we started to uh, play Portal, uh, Portal 2 specifically. Uh, so yeah, uh, we we uh, we really liked that game, you know, especially the co-op. The co-op of Portal, I haven't actually played co-op before, but I've seen people play it, and it looks pretty fun playing the co-op. So, and yes, it is uh, possible, oh. as as I explained, it is possible to, uh, you know, play on one machine, have your own uh, dedicated monitor to it. So, uh, anyways, uh, I've had this uh, little joke news story lying around for a while. Uh, so India apparently banned a couple websites uh, back in January, among them Stack Overflow and GitHub. Uh, I'm not sure if they ever turned them back on, uh, but shortly after they did it, it, it took a programmer six hours to uh, figure out how to swap a variable. That guy in the, the article, he was just plain complaining. He was, he was like, yeah, I went to my team, my team lead, and, and he, he tried to confuse me by asking me if I wanted to make it an instance variable or not. And then, so, so I said, use your best judgment. And then he said, I didn't know anything. He, he was kind of funny to, uh, to read. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then, uh, yeah, going back to fun, uh, Steam, the, uh, Spyware service that we all know and love, at least Spyware, according to uh, Studio Guy, the founder of this network anyway. Um, so Steam, uh, as you know, recently went to Linux and is the foundation for SteamOS, uh, which is, uh, you know, what Valve are doing to uh, combat the plague that is Windows 8. Uh, I'm not sure what they feel about Windows 10, though. Uh, but uh, Steam now has over 1,000 Linux games. 
It's quite a few games. And that was the problem with Linux a few years back, kind of, if you looked at it, was for everyone who was like, well, it's a good stable operating system, can stay up a long time, doesn't have like the update problems, like with Windows, of having to reboot all the time. But you just really didn't have good games on it. Most of the games were... They were fun games, but they weren't like, great games on there. Yeah. Um, so, of course, you know, all of Valve's games are on uh, Linux, uh, as well as, you know, other titles like uh, Civ Five and uh, Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel, and apparently Bioshock Infinite. So, and pretty much every independent game and almost every game that has been uh, on Kickstarter. So... This is uh, definitely a good sign. It's so. a very good, very good sign. Uh, let's see. Oh, yes. And speaking of, uh, you know, network news. Uh, so I I want to say I am glad that I produce content for such a cinematic podcasting network. Uh, because, uh, like, I noticed that, uh, if you recall, uh, like a few episodes ago, I found an article that said that every everything in movies is either blue or orange. Yes. So I noticed that most of the album art on this network is blue or orange. So I made our album art more blue and orange. Just to make sure it fit the the pattern of what it should be. Yes. So now we are more cinematic. Ooh, nice. development that has been going on for a little while, the uh, SSD endurance test that uh, Tech Report is, uh, or at least was running, and uh, at this point they have all failed. Uh, it's coming, I believe, the uh, one drive coming just short of two and a half petabytes, so that's, you know, like a terabyte times 1,000 uh, is a petabyte. Times two, because there was two of them. Yes. So, so that, that, but that's the, the point in the article that the guy made that level of data is way more than most normal people are going to use up in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. And so really when you look step back and look at the big picture, those higher performing drives were pretty incredible what they did and assuming they don't die on you without warning, they actually seem like pretty safe things and not really as much. People are really freaked out about overusing their SSDs and like they do things like remapping to their physical hard drive, different folders, like hey. folders or whatnot. Oh yes, that you did that, didn't you? <laughs> Anyways, but from what the, from that article, kind of what the takeaway for me was: if you have a good drive that will last, maybe that stuff isn't as necessary. You can take advantage of the fact that yes, you will be writing to that folder a whole lot of times, and you don't know what. That's where you're going to save time on is by writing to that folder a whole lot of times. True, but uh, you know, then again, you know, how much do you have to wait for something? You know, that's essentially the question of whether or not to get an SSD. So it looks, you know, just to wrap up, it looks like the uh, Intel uh, one died first. It looks like, and then the uh, Kingston drive. Uh, I believe it was the Kingston Hyper X. Then the uh, was it the Samsung 840 series? They they don't really have a list of you know this one died you know this point you know they it don't just have... like kind of the charts you have to read them and figure them out. Yeah, 
He must so. be a chart person because he always says charts, and he doesn't always exactly explain them. But you kind of looking at it, you kind of make sense of them. But to him, obviously, it's making all kinds of sense. Actually, looks like the uh, Kingston Drive made it to uh, uh, was it two petabytes, and then the Samsung 840 Pro uh, lasted uh, you know over well over two petabytes. So yeah, uh, like two point four actually. So yeah, you know, even even you know, at a fraction of this, uh, you know, like you really need to cycle your drive. You need to be writing and deleting from your drive like all the time in order to rack up even like seven hundred uh, terabytes. You know, because for a uh, two hundred fifty gig SSD, you know, that's you know rewriting it, you know, like over like two thousand times complete. Yeah, and that's not your normal everyday user you're mostly doing a lot of reads some writes but you're not reinstalling windows every single day and even if you did you're not doing that all day long anyways which this guy i forget how many months he did it for was it like 10 or something like that i think so yeah because we've been talking about this for a long time yeah we have been and it sounds like i got the impression he's just been hammering these drives the whole time without a break uh pretty much i think you know, he, you know, they would, you know, write a lot of data and then uh, verify it, you know, read it all back. Yes. So the uh, the one thing that he noticed is at least for the Intel drive, and I think for most uh, SSDs, is that, you know, when it reaches a point where you can't write to it anymore, that it'll go into a write or it'll go into a read-only mode until you reboot. At that so point, at that point... It's totally a paperweight. So that's the part I don't understand. You you develop the drive to make it a read-only mode. To me, it would make sense if they would make it so when it came back online, it would still be in read-only mode. Yeah. It, I think it's a that's a failure of design decision there. Well, I think that enterprise-level SSDs will do that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's something up with that. Um and even and even if uh, like the drive says okay I can't take any more data like even before like an actual hardware failure point occurs that would probably be okay too. So you can just stop writing to it and then you just essentially read only. You're saying yeah. So uh, yeah, this is uh, you know I'm glad someone did this. Yeah, so. it's definitely good to see real statistics. Other than I mean I'm obviously the SSD companies have done similar stress stress tests but maybe not with other companies' products and not publicly released like this in such a way that's out there. So it's good. So, and uh, you remember uh, Charlie from church? Uh, oh, yes. Yes. So he got an SSD on Sunday, and, you know, we were talking about it there. And uh, so uh, apparently he had, like, another hard drive lying around. So he decided, it's like, okay, well, let me put in two hard drives along with this SSD. But uh, it turned out as soon as he plugged in both hard drives, his computer would not boot. And if it was on, it would crash. So, yeah, dude, your power supply is definitely broken. You could only run one drive or the other. Yeah, that does sound suspicious. The only other thing that came to my mind was a master-slave thing, but I guess with SATA that probably isn't the chance. Right, yeah. And even he uh, says, like, yeah, his power supply was only, like, 700 watts, which, you know, should be plenty. Yeah, 700 is pretty hefty. For a single video card system, so. 
Unless it's an older one, because I've heard power supplies mm. degrade over time. No, I think quite this, a bit. Mm, it was only three years old. Okay, that so. doesn't sound old. So, uh, you've uh, seen websites that uh, rank things by po- popularity and time, like how yes. like how something can have like 200 votes, but it's like a day old. So the uh, something else with like 50 votes, but was submitted in like six hours ago or so, would rank above that because so, it's fresher, but has more interest in it. Yeah, it's you know it's you know fresher. Yeah, exactly newer. Um, so I've sort of been curious as to how, like, the, uh, the ranking is performed, and it turns out that a few websites do this, uh, like Reddit, StumbleUpon, Delicious, uh, Hacker News, and maybe a few others, uh, but, uh, like, I, I find Hacker News to be the simplest, so it takes the votes from the users uh, minus one because when you submit something, it has one or one vote already. Uh, so points divided by the time since submission in hours plus two, and uh, 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 raise that to one point five to the power of one point five. So you know that's you know pretty simple uh, formula there. Uh, whereas uh, Reddit has like a more complicated system. It has logarithm logarithms in it, <laughs> which is kind of bad. Be, be interesting to how they developed the original algorithm if they just kind of chose something and and said this is what we're doing, or if they studied studied it in some way. Uh huh. And then stumble upon looks like that's maybe a little bit simpler, but it has like organic bonuses in it. So it's not exactly as simple as the Hacker News, but, you know, definitely looks like it's simpler than the Reddit one. So uh, Delicious, I think, might might even be uh, simpler. Points equals amount of time story has been bookmarked in the last 3,600 seconds. Uh, so that looks like the mm. last hour or so, maybe hour and a half. So that, that would help with current trending things. So even if something even if something was existing in the system already, you know, if suddenly it gets a lot of attention, it would bring it back up fast. Yes. So, oh, so that's interesting. So past past existence wouldn't hinder it in the future. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, three thousand six hundred is seconds in one hour. So, yeah. So yeah, whereas on uh, Hacker News, you know the you know the time since submission is like a like a dead weight. So, uh, but I think there might be a rule there that says, uh, like, once every, once, like, 90 days has passed, you can submit it again. Okay, so technically, you could resubmit it, and then it would reset that dead weight, essentially. Yeah, it would, it would essentially be a new thing on there, so. Uh, let's see. So, uh, talking about, you know, bookmarks and whatnot from around the world. Undersea fiber optic cables are the secret to the in- to the same internet being everywhere around the world. And now there is a map that is done in a sort of classical Renaissance style. <laughs> I love the map. It, it it looks really great. They put like sea dragons on it, and then in the one spot, and they're saying that the fishing boats are what cut the most cables. And then they have like a a chart thing on it, and it shows the the milliseconds of travel time between the different countries. It, very well done. 
Yes, and uh, there is an interactive version of this. So, you know, you can sort of zoom into it like uh, Google Maps. So, um, you know, you can really see how everything is, uh, you know, wired up. Uh, and then uh, I also included another uh, interactive map that, uh, you know, has less decoration on it, I guess. But with that one, you can actually click on like an individual cable, and it will highlight everything, uh, just that cable. Oh, okay, so you can trace that cable where it goes. Yep. So it looks like, uh, you know, even in the Arctic Ocean, you know, there's fiber optic cables there. So the, the interesting thing I was just thinking about was, uh, so the fishing boats cut cables and stuff by accident. Right. So you cut your cable, you lose your data, but just the way most protocols work, you, that data, while lost somewhere in the ocean, just would automatically get rerouted to some other route as soon as the computer realizes it's it's a cut connection and the person probably doesn't even notice it. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting when you uh, think about it. Unless you're using UDP or something. UDP, yeah. <laughs> which in that case you don't care anyways if you're using that protocol. Well, I mean... It's assumed that the uh, the connection is somewhat reliable. If it's a total outage, well, you're pretty much hosed. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, pretty interesting stuff. So, uh, I know that uh, at least you don't really have much experience with uh, a so-called schema-free or schema-less databases. And no, I don't know much at all about them. Uh I don't either, but like I, you know, read descriptions and stuff and, and like how people build with them. Uh, so like it's essentially a whole bunch of key value pairs in a group. And these are, these groups form larger groups called collections. Hmm. Um, so the problem with uh, schema free databases is that past a certain point, you kind of have one. So if you want to build like some sort of application off of it, like you need some sort of repeatable standard form that yeah. is a schema. See, to me, that describes any use of a database. Unless you want to make different programs using the same database and you just want the convenience of not having to define something different for each one. Like you, you have a schema, you have a structure that that data should always be stored in that database. Mm-hmm. So, uh, O'Larry, uh, I believe it's like a hotel review site, recently mu moved everything from the schema-free MongoDB uh, system uh, to Postgres. And they also got a nice speed bump in the process. Uh, so the uh, problem that they had was, like, the system that hosted their database, like, really needed a lot of RAM, I think. So, and the other thing that they uh, were having is that uh, so, like, a post, uh, has, had gone through several iterations of, uh, like, past application usage and, uh, refactorings. Yes. So, like, there would be, like, an if statement, like, three different ways the post title could be expressed. So, you, you needed if statements to check, is like, okay, is it called post? Is it called post underscore title? Or, like, other variations on that. Mm -hmm. So... With a schema that really enforces, yeah, it won't have any of that. See, what I, I wasn't understanding is, uh, and I, I guess that 
from the Rails world, you change something like that. You do a mig- you write a migration for that, and then when you apply your schema change, you migrate your data to the new format. I, I wasn't understanding why they wouldn't have done something like that. Probably because at that point they had so much data that it would be impractical. So um, they did all that, and uh, their average response time uh, went down by like mm, thirty to forty percent. You know, just the uh, you know the uh, the website response time. Website, that is. Yeah, I, I saw they had a graph in there of a some sort of a scheduler task, and you could see the before, and then you could see like a brief outage. And then it came back on, and it was the lines of the amount of time it was taking to process jobs was quite a bit less on the graph. Yeah. So their uh, scrapers went a little bit faster. I'm not exactly sure what they what those do. Um, yeah, and then you know the scheduler got faster, and uh, apparently th- they had a uh, you know some sort of process called a review persister. Uh, this application has a rather simple purpose to save review data. You know, reviews, review ratings, and so forth. Ended up making some pretty big changes uh, for the migration result was very rewarding. Uh, so, uh, you know, they this would spike anywhere from like three seconds to ten seconds, and after the change, it went down to maybe two hundred milliseconds. So that's like a very write-heavy uh, workload. So, yeah. You know, you might think that, you know, oh, schema free is like, yeah, we can do everything you want. Well, it kind of has a cost. So, you know, Postgres and other, you know, uh, relational databases, you know, they are optimized for, you know, pretty much like a standard schema. So there are assumptions that can be made with that, and it makes things a whole lot faster. And of course, uh, I think, I think, I think now Postgres supports, uh, some form of schema free uh, design, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Like, it has JSON data types. I think it has, like, a JSON binary data type. I think that was uh, a fairly new feature introduced last year, I think. Interesting. Yeah. So is that, that lets you get into, like, a dynamically changing data type, then you can change your, your structure that you'd be sending it then? Yep. Hmm. So, uh, Windows. Uh, let's Let's talk about Microsoft and Windows for a little bit. So, uh, along with your, uh, free, uh, version of Windows 10, it looks like, uh, the system itself, the operating system will be a lot lighter on the drive. Uh, so, uh, Microsoft, uh, released a, a blog report. The Windows team, uh, has a, po- a post here, uh, explaining, uh, you know, some of their new data saving features. And uh, one of them is, you know, using uh, compression and especially better compression uh, on the system files. Uh, so on uh, 32-bit uh, Windows 10, it saves about one and a half gigabytes, and for 64-bit, it saves two and a half gigabytes. Uh, so and uh, you know, Windows has had features to compress files on the drive. Uh, although it's been used sparingly, especially in the past, like, 10, 15 years, where, like, hard drive space has just gone up and up and up and up and up. Uh, so, which, you know, is pretty nice. So, and hard drives as they are aren't exactly the speediest things, uh, but now we're looking at, you know, tablets and phones and stuff that have, you know, maybe 16 gigs of, uh, space, you know, at, you know, at the sort of low end. Yes. So, 
So, you know, one of their design goals for Windows 10 is that, you know, it's the same system that will be running everywhere. You know, from, you know, normal desktop computers all the way down to tablets and phones and I think even, like, uh, uh, Internet of Things class devices, if you can say that. Like, wearables and stuff. Uh, So, the the, uh, other uh, thing that they uh, are doing with, uh, you know, freeing up space is that they have an algorithm that will essentially trace down the dependencies. So when you do a system restore, it'll trace down all those dependencies and flush out everything that's not that. Uh, with a uh, with a added bonus of you don't need to reinstall all of your patches and system updates. Which is pretty nice. That's a big deal of wiping a system is you got to re-update everything, which takes a long time. So... So with that, you don't need that recovery partition. So my my concern, though, with that is if there's a DLL that should be there and I, as a malicious code, replace that DLL with myself and I have my own code that run inside of there, maybe instead or two or something else in there, suddenly that's you do a system wipe and that malicious code could still be there potentially. Indeed. Uh, but then, uh, you know, who's to say that, you know, code running today on, like, Windows 7 or 8 uh, won't get into that recovery partition and modify it there, too. So Quite true. So No, it, the article does say you, you still can make a recovery, di- recovery disk, so I suppose that would be the thing to do. You, you still ha- have that. That way you can always go back to your, your essentially your old Windows install disk mode and and rebuild windows if you actually did get into that spot exactly uh plus if you look around uh well enough you can you know find somewhere on the microsoft website where you can actually download a uh uh you know just like the basic uh image for windows that's true so uh let's uh go on to compare microsoft with google uh, so Forbes here is asserting that Microsoft is the new Google and that Google is the old Microsoft. So it's comparing how Google today, uh, you know, has pretty much the uh, lion's share, like a controlling uh, share uh, of the market in uh, like Internet and mobile phone, uh, you know, areas. So it seems like, you know, Android has completely taken over uh, smartphones. And, uh, you know, Internet search has been, you know, has been all Google since, I don't know, 2002, probably. Google's been king for a long time. Yeah. So and uh, of course, you know, Gmail is, you know, a very nice uh, email uh, interface and service. Uh, So it's, you know, it appears that Google isn't really fixing a lot of issues. Uh, So like I remember one bug in Chrome where it would just sit there and eat up your CPU and, by extension, a laptop battery. And it wasn't fixed for, like, two or three years. And then remember that one bug where uh, uh, Android 5 completely broke the, uh, uh, like, the actual calling of people on the phone? Yes, I remember talking about that one. (laughs) And they said, contact customer service. Uh, Yeah, right. Yeah, call them on your phone. (laughs) Uh, so where is Google's attention? Apparently on moonshot projects. The company shouts rather excitedly about self-driving cars, hot air balloons that deliver the internet, along with Google Fiber, uh, contact lenses, virtual reality cardboard headsets, 
uh, augmented reality glasses, uh, modular smartphones, and like a few other things. So the, the, the virtual reality cardboard headset, I actually found the app for that once in the Google store. I didn't actually have the cardboard thing there to make try and make one, but it actually looked kind of interesting. Yeah. I'll try it sometime. Anyways, moving on. So, like, none of these actually improve uh, Google services that much. Yes. You know, granted, they're more of, like, connectivity solutions and pet projects. Uh, so, whereas, you know, uh, Google has, like, everything to lose, you know, in, in terms of, you know, market share and all of that, uh, Microsoft has virtually nothing in the points where it is important. Uh, so, you know, granted, it has, you know, Windows and Office, but those are no longer the exciting things that they were. See what Windows is doing in contrast to like Google is Windows. Microsoft is is trying. Like we we're just looking at Windows 10. They're they're slimming it down, making it more lean. That's putting them in a good place because Linux, as we are already talked about earlier in the podcast, has a lot of games in it now and is really a pretty good viable option. Microsoft is realizing they have to actually fight and start working hard and. Uh, put some effort into, into it and try to come up with something innovative and new and that works good. And so that's a good motivator. Or just thinking about IE, how a few years back, I forget what version of it. One six. of them, yeah, Six. Was that the one that was out for like five years or yeah. something like that? It was like there was no competition than Firefox and Chrome. And suddenly they started producing more versions of IE. Competition made it happen. And now they're going to throw out Internet Explorer entirely. So with that uh, Project Spartan, I think. We talked about that last time, didn't we? Uh, sometime. It's been in the past, like, two months, I think. Okay, I, I remembered something about that. Uh, so, uh, you know, Microsoft is, you know, actually, you know, doing some experiments with this, you know, because, you know, it's been sort of reduced to, like, an also-ran, uh, you know, you know, they completely missed, uh, you know, the smartphone and the tablet, you know, hype, so... You know, they, uh, you know, they're starting to experiment a little bit here. At least they have Xbox, which is pretty much the only brand that they have that people really like. I mean, everyone sort of hates Windows and sort of hates Office, but, you know, they kind of have to use them. Yeah. See, 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 I don't really like Microsoft products, but some of them, like, I, I look at Office... And then I, I've used OpenOffice and Google Docs, and I really like Google Docs. I used that in college a lot. But then it works sometimes with Office. I see how easy it is to make like headings and stuff, and paragraphs and line breaks, and then manage like your paragraphs, make them break automatically on lines and stuff. It's it is it seems like it has more user intuitive features to it. Maybe the features there in OpenOffice, but it's tough to find it. They put or LibreOffice as a now LibreOffice, yeah, LibreOffice. Um. Let's see. And we're using Google Docs right now. Yes. <laughs> Google Docs is amazing for its online collaboration. I've seen a, a similar version that Microsoft has of an online editor, and it just did not work. It was really bad. It it it, it, it wouldn't open up the document. Well, I know what it was. It, it let me like edit it, and then it wouldn't save the document online. It was it was messed up. Wow. But anyways. So, uh, you know, along with this uh, smartphone hype, you know, you know, there may be an app for that, but does it really, is it really better? Does it really improve your life? So uh, The Verge uh, has an article here that really examines, uh, I believe it's from Golden Krishna. You know, he examines uh, 
yeah, I believe it was like the BMW uh, app to remotely unlock your uh, car. So he details the 14 steps, I think it is. Uh, yeah, 13 steps that uh, it takes to unlock your car from your cell phone. And, you know, you can go on and on about how well-designed, like, I think it's iOS is, uh, because it was on his, his uh, iPhone, I think. You can mm-hmm. go on and on about how well-designed iOS is, but if it takes 13 steps to unlock your car and only the last two uh, were, like, actually doing the unlock, you know, do doing the uh, car unlock, rather, uh, not the phone unlock, you know, you need to unlock a few things to unlock your car. Why is that? <laughs> um, uh, you know, you know, even all the steps to, you know, close your last app that you're in uh, and go back and swipe through your sea of icons, you know, to figure out, you know, it's like, oh, this one unlocks my car. And then the app needs to find your car and all that. Whereas you can, you know, use a tactile interface that is standard equipment on over 99% of humans on the market. Use that to grab a piece of metal, shove it into a slot, and turn it. Rather than standing there like a doofus, fumbling around with your smartphone to unlock your car. See, another solution he came up with, too, that I liked was, he was it sounded like you were saying... When you touch the handle of the door, it could check to see if your keys were in the vicinity and then unlock the door for you at that point in time, which that makes sense, too. Yeah. Uh, so and then I believe there was a silly, uh, uh, you know, illusion, I think, to uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I can check the weather on the top of this mountain. It's like, why would you need to know that? Mm, just because. <laughs> uh, when cause I can do it. You know, everyone can do that. Uh, even when I think it was like some American ski association says that only two and a half percent of Americans are downhill skiers. So, and they only do that for like eight days a year or something. So, uh, you know, you know, this, you know, you need to think about, you know, is this actually better? Is this actually an improvement? Does it make, you know, does it make my life better? Does an app make my life better? And, you know, you know, you know, smartphones have been around in their current form, you know, for like seven years now. And I think it's long past time that we sit back and think about the utility of these things. I, th- I think when there's a, a new technology, I, I just thinking in comparison when I learned some new technique, like with programming. Uh, specifically maybe like lambdas. When I first got into them, I wanted to use them for everything. And you overuse them because they're really fun. You just learn them and you just want to find uses for them. But over Mm -hmm. time, as you use them, you find out, well, this really wasn't the most readable solution for a lambda. It was better maybe to express it in a different way. And so I, I think maybe in a sense, you could look at smartphones and apps in that way. We fit one model and we've just gone crazy with it but as time goes on we're going to find better ways to do things and actually use technology in a smart way going back to the example of i touch the door handle it looks for my keys oh look that's the guy with the keys let him in right um let's see then yeah you speaking about lambdas there in your code uh like that reminds me of uh link uh i'm not sure if that's what you're specifically yeah technically that is the same thing yep uh like, I remember uh, back in uh, college that I needed to write 
some wicked uh, link statement that would, you know, query a database. And I think it would had to map to an enumeration to, yep. like, display a string from the enumeration. That was mm, kind of t- contorted, and I think it was a lot longer than what it probably should have been. It- That's a danger with them, is you can really stack them up, and you can make something happen, but it's kind of complex to read and it's really difficult to debug that so that's that's another thing with you have to break them up you know make it simple yeah. steps that are easy to understand even though you can do it in one step it's not always the best way to do it and then there are what, there are performance considerations too depending upon what you're doing technically the like a, a pure for loop is going to be faster but your delayed execution sometimes can buy you something further down the line think about things And appreciate and appreciate for Chapman screwdrivers. Uh, I was working on my gun the other day, uh, that one I'm building, and I was fun, had a screw on the lock that I had to take off, and so I actually messed up the head of the screw quite badly, and I even tried taking it off with my impact driver and broke a bit, which I've had troubles with screws on guns quite a bit before because they like putting them in tight, and they typically use really small heads with really small slots because people think that looks nicer. Mm-hmm. And most screwdrivers have like a slanted edge to them, uh, but they often say for the gun screws, it's better to have a straight edge on the, the screwdriver. That way they, it just fits more surface area on the screw. So I, I researched online, and I found these Chapman screwdrivers. They actually have straight edges on them, and then they have also too like a small torque wrench that comes with it. This is you can put 200 foot-pounds on the on the their bit which is enough to break some of the bits in their set they have like a a diagram and everything showing the 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 torques that each bit will take and at what point in time it will break so i thought it was kind of nice that they obviously put a lot of thought into that set and what works and tested it very well i I thought it was a pretty impressive set so yeah also i just noticed that your uh, blog here is responsive responsive yes meaning there's no ww in front no uh, meaning that I can resize my browser window horizontally and, like, uh-huh. the sidebar flips down. Oh, nice. It's the fancy WordPress theme. Yes. I, w- I used to have a different one, and then my old theme was breaking WordPress when I upgraded it, like, a few times ago. And so I went with one of the vanilla themes that were more simple, but just to get rid of the problem of having WordPress being broken. <laughs> it's a decent theme, though. It's not bad. It's simple, yeah. which sometimes simple is nice. Yes. Uh, so, uh, Ian uh, sent us some podcast feedback, uh, the uh, Buckface, that is. Uh, so, he said that, I r- really didn't know that you could co-op Portal on multiple screens. That's really cool. And I believe I also mentioned this on the 8-bit episode that I was on. Uh, Ian says, I really like the inclusion of the ambient Portal music in the episode. And, uh, yeah, I extracted that from the uh, game files. Uh, to which uh, Ian responded, uh, I think you didn't actually have to extract the music. When Steam added a music player, Valve celebrated by releasing a bunch of soundtracks as free DLCs. The MP3s get dumped into the game install folder. 
well, yeah, that's kind of nice, but uh, you know, I didn't have that back in 2012 uh, when I uh, extracted those music and I kept those around in my music folder. Aha. Uh-huh. Like, I actually looked at the file properties that said 2012, so I just, you know, have those lying around. Uh, Ian uh, said that I played a fan-made map pack uh, where they expect you to be able to do complex flinging maneuvers that depend on crouching in midair and other such tricks to maximize the height you get out of the jump. Ridiculous. I knew what I was getting into before I played it, so I enjoyed it. Plus, I was way too excited about everything Portal at the time. So, uh, if you would like to submit feedback, go ahead and do so on the Nexus.tv, uh, especially if you can do it from the uh, the show notes page. Uh, so, yeah, don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up your stuff. And like I said to you, you go ahead and use that Google takeout to extract all your Gmail uh, out. And the thing of it is, is that the uh, Google Drive export doesn't really work too well. Really? Yeah, it only exports the stuff that you have created in a shared folder. It doesn't export everything in that shared folder. Only the things that you have created. So you'll have to, like, check the box next to the folder and download that manually. So... kind of annoying that you have to do it manually yeah so but uh yeah anyways uh hi mom how you doing hey i got a camera (laughs) so um and then yeah i snapped those uh photos of uh chris there and uh he actually like pretty much immediately put it on facebook so uh anyways uh let's see coming up here uh let's see i'll so between the uh camera uh, like, remember that Pono player I have? You know, I was dis- yes. I was discussing this with you on Friday, that uh, I'm trying to hack the blue light that comes on, uh, because, uh, like, the Pono player has this blue light that comes on uh, that uh, only works when you are playing something that's downloaded from the official store, and, you know, these are just FLAC files. They're unencrypted, so it has to be something in the metadata. So, like, there are, like, specific tags, and, uh, like, you, like, do an MD5 hash and use that into an AES over this one string or something. It's yes. really complicated. Uh, apparently there's a Python script, uh, Python GUI, that does this, but I want to do it manually, so I can just, like, run a, run a bash script and do it all at once. So, uh, yeah, uh, that'll probably keep me going for a while. Uh, and, you know, I'll probably also maybe, uh, uh, convert that over to, uh, I think it's like PowerShell, I think it is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, no such luck on either of those fronts. So, um, yeah. Uh, how about you? Well, I've got, uh, the gun that I'll probably be working more on that. I got a, a vice for the mainspring that I needed today. That I can uh, take the lock apart safely and put it together safely instead of breaking the spring. And then uh, my church has the uh, the Pinewood Derby car races there on Saturday, so I'll be hoping to set that up on Friday. And I, I was building a car for that too, so I'll have to finish that up, some final painting and stuff. Pretty much that's it. Cool. So uh, have a good one. You too. <laughs>